DAOs, uh, decentralized autonomous organizations. I love the concept because I really do believe that um, a lot of times, a, a lot of other people benefit off of black culture, um, the geniuses that we have and what we bring to the table. And I believe that DAOs are an opportunity for us to to keep some of that generational wealth within the organization and utilize all of our gifts to elevate everybody who's a part of it. Trinidad Hermita sits down with John Radoff for this fireside chat about the metaverse. Trinidad was the head of diversity and inclusion at Niantic. She's also the founder of the Hermita Company, LLC. The Hermita Company partners with organizations to develop out-of-the-box diversity, equity, and inclusion initiatives that relate to their bottom line. Let's jump into the chat. All right. Welcome back, everyone, to another fireside chat about the metaverse today. I'm super excited that Trinidad, you could join me in this conversation. I, so here's here's the reason why I asked Trinidad to join in. So Trinidad has done work in diversity and inclusion for many years now. That's what you were doing at Niantic. You're doing something new now that I want you to tell us all about. But I think that thinking about the audience of folks who are showing up for these videos with thought leaders that I'm creating, I, I think there's like two big constituencies. There's like people who come from game development and they know the issues around diversity and inclusion, or at least they should know <laughs> the issues around it. And some of them frankly are asking, why do we keep talking about it? Why aren't we doing enough about it? Um, I want your take on that, but we'll also talk to, the people out there who are thinking of this as much broadly, more broadly, they're thinking of this as the metaverse and a lot of new opportunities and new applications and a whole new crop of creators making stuff. And what do they not know? What do they hope for? What could maybe change in this new economy? So that, that's sort of like the table of contents, I guess, for this talk, but we're gonna go to a lot of places, I'm sure. So Trinidad, thanks for being here. Thank you for having me. I'm excited. Yeah, so tell us a little bit about what you're doing now. You, you, you've you left Niantic, where you were heading up diversity inclusion there. So what's new? <laughs> Woo. Um, what's new? I, I have the opportunity of uh, creating what's called the Hermita Company at LLC. And I'm consulting companies on how to build equity through empathy. And uh, it sounds really nice, warm and fuzzy, but it's really <laughs> going into companies, looking at their policy, looking how they treat their people and finding ways to impact and empower um, the leaders and the systems that may be to create a more equitable workplace. Um, I also have, um, I'm a co-founder of an augmented reality company. I love mixed reality. And so being able to create opportunities in the space. I'm a web free early adapter. I, I'm, I'm all in everything. And so I'm just, I'm, I'm enjoying this journey of exploration and finding ways to tap into the metaverse, tap into um, generational wealth for my people and, and empowering this generation to come with the tools and the knowledge. Like I really do think our parents um, if they knew the amount of opportunity that was in this space, they would have encouraged us to be game developers, encouraged us to be um, go into crypto, encouraged us to do something cutting edge, which was risky. And um, so I try to raise awareness around that. Awesome. I'm so glad that you said Web3. We're going to totally be talking about NFTs and DAOs and all that stuff. And if you're hearing some of those things for the first time, just get ready for your mind to be a little bit blown on what these decentralized autonomous organizations are enabling. Um, but let's let's start with games and game development. What What do you think people should know about the workforce in the game industry today? I'm just going to put that out as a very broad question. Oh, very broad. The workforce <laughs> in the game industry. Um, let's go back 20 plus years when um, to talk about what I sort of mentioned earlier, and I'll dig a little deeper, which is 
uh, growing up, my parents were engineers. I had a couple of options to go to school. I could be an engineer, a doctor, lawyer, or preacher. And I chose preacher because that seemed like it was the easiest one out of the bunch. And, you know, um, learning that there's so many opportunities in this space now, now that I'm tapped in, I'm like, wow, like the disparity, because my parents wanted to make sure that I wasn't, um, struggling. My parents wanted to make sure I had security. My parents wanted to make sure that whatever job I got, I was going to be able to create a life for myself. And because they didn't know that gaming, because they didn't know that, um, diving into, uh, I remember back in the day when I bought my first Bitcoin, right? Like I was going to, I was going to uh, Vegas and cause I remember Vegas had the first like Bitcoin. I don't even know if this is true facts, but I, I knew that there was um, an ATM, a Bitcoin ATM in Vegas, right? At the airport. Right. And so I would go to Vegas, have a blast, put my money into Bitcoin. And then whenever I'd go to Vegas, cause I, I I'm a, I play, um, I'm a bill. I like to play pool. So uh, billiards and, and tournaments and stuff like that. And so um, all my winnings and all the things I would put into Bitcoin, but I blew it. I blew it because I didn't realize what it was gonna become. It was more of like, let me save my money in Bitcoin and then come out. And I was, nobody in my family was like, no Trinidad invest that or hold on to it or anything like that because nobody in my family knew about it. And so that's the disparity that I'm talking about. So in the game industry, there's this huge equity gap when people of color come into the game industry of knowing how to navigate it, be successful in it, grow in it, excel in it, because nobody above us or someone who we looked up to uh, could give us the cheat codes. So mm -hmm. we're seeing a disparity where our black and black brown folks are like um, a, a portion of this industry and it's growing, but we're growing um, in the entry level areas, not in the leadership. And so mm -hmm. that's the, 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 a big mm -hmm. disparity. Mm -hmm. um, and I, I used to talk a lot about uh, ways to get more black and brown leadership in gaming and in tech is to take people from other industries that are that show leadership qualities and give them the game industry boot camp, right? Like, come on in. We're okay with you working with us at EA, at Niantic at unity uh but we're gonna give you a little boot camp we're gonna we're gonna make sure you network with the right people we're gonna make sure we give you the cheat codes uh because we want your leadership here and i don't see that it, that real desire to to pull from other industries because hmm. the game industry seems like oh well we're so tight-knit we're so close and we want people who who have that historical knowledge and we're we're not gonna get the the balance in our leadership if we don't do that. Mm -hmm. By the way, if it makes you feel just ever so slightly better, I was mining Bitcoin back in 2011 and I sold a bunch of it way prematurely. So, so, so <laughs> but uh, in the game industry, so why, why do you think companies aren't more receptive to what you just described, which is to build those bridges or networks out to other industries? I, I, I think fear, you know, that's usually the root of most things is fear that someone's going to come in and change the culture, or we're not going to be able to be as free as we used to be, or, or, um, I think fear is a big piece. I think lack of education on how leadership skills are transferable and how they can, they can transfer multiple industries. Like if you're a dope uh, engineer and you're like a founding engineer of a fintech company, like I can see you being an, uh, a founding engineer of a game industry startup. Like there's, that's, that's maybe I just think outside the box, but that to me could be like a simple shoe in, like you have this education. Now let's teach you about this billion dollar industry and let's give you some of the cheat codes. And I like talking about cheat codes a lot because I feel like one thing that is a lack in our VC world is putting the cheat codes like open source, right? When you're an engineer and you go to GitHub, there's open source things. And to be able to put the open source of what it takes to actually have a successful pitch, or at least the essence, the framework, and then we can build in 
what the necessities are in order to be seen, to be heard. This is all imperative and important to um, people being successful. So I really do believe that um, there's an opportunity here, uh, especially in a billion dollar industry, we're running out of talent, we're running out of top talent, and we need to start looking into yeah. other industries for leadership and top talent. That's a good point because it's really hard to hire people right now. Like, first of all, the game industry, all in when you include the games sold, the free to play economies, the the hardware, esports, everything. It's like four hundred billion dollars right now. Is the a year is the recent calculation I heard, and that's only going to grow from here. It's it's going to grow a lot, especially when we think about the metaverse, which which we're going to get to soon enough when we talk about DAOs and Web three and art and play to earn games and all that fun stuff. But it's an enormous industry that really has an insatiable need for talent for people at all levels, actually, and and there's just sort of gaps in pretty much every company you can imagine right now. So it's almost like people should realize this as pure um, enlightened self-interest, like to be able to even be to grow as an industry or as an individual company, we're going to have to get better at this. So I, I feel like there's a couple of sides to this that I'd love you to comment on. So first of all, what does someone like me need to know to get better at this? Ooh, really <laughs> do this right now. Um, I, I think that what you need to know, you need to know that we're not going anywhere. Um, so you might as well allow this community and people around us to partner and to utilize our genius. And uh, I think you need to know that there's a ton of black and brown people who are in mixed reality in web three in in the in the like in it in it and not 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 people who don't know what they're talking about geniuses who are doing some cutting edge phenomenal things so um it makes sense to partner collaborate uh fund let us fail one of the best things that I love doing is fast failing. And I try to set people up um, when they interact with me. Uh, I talk about, you know, in order for me to be innovative and to think outside the box, I have to be willing to fail. And one of the disparities that I see in like VC world and in funding, black folk have to come 100% perfect almost. You know, mm. you, you, how many times are you going to let us fail uh, and give us multiple chances of funding to try mm -hmm. to get something right? You know, I don't have um, the the friends and family that I can raise a hundred million in friends and family. Like my friends and family are just trying to make it, and I'm not even trying to hate. Like um, my my first millionaire in my family came out of a, a out of an IPO, and I was just like, finally, you know, we have a millionaire that came out of IPO. But it's like how, and then now they're giving back to the family and investing in the family so that we can have this buffer of being able to fast fail. But we didn't have that before. And he needed to take a risk in order to even be a part of that, you know, but he has aunts and, and I, and I was always like, you know, Hey, I got your back. If this fails, I got your back. You're not alone. But a lot of people don't have that. And so I think understanding the equity gap is another thing that you need to know. Uh, I don't have aunts and uncles who've been successful at this. Mm -hmm. I don't have investors who know me by first name basis. I don't have the ability to go before investors multiple times um, and and mess it up, right? Like, it's like, wow, this black woman made it here. Now she has to be perfect. Show me your black girl magic. I'm like, bro, like, I don't know everything. If anything, I'm just coming to uh, elevate this conversation, empower people with, this uh, excitement that I have around what the future may hold for all mm -hmm. of us and realize there's enough room for everybody. And that's not what the hedge fund people think about. You know, like they, they're like, oh, no, no, no. Let's keep it amongst ourselves because we like the lives that we live. But billion, a billion dollars, that's a lot of money. And mm -hmm. I think that means that there's a lot and there's enough for all of us. And so, um, yeah. If I've learned anything about running companies, starting companies, it's that you make a lot of mistakes. 
Um, some people get lucky, I guess, and their survivorship bias and, and just everything goes great. That, that sometimes happens, but more often than not, the whole process of growth actually is from the mistakes and what you learn from it. I, I kind of liken it to like, if you lift weights, right? Like the most powerful part of weightlifting is when you fail, that's when the growth occurs. And, and I feel like as long as it's not failures that are absolutely catastrophic, like there's, there's the one half of it, which is in any given startup, there's those little mistakes along the way that, that help you get there. And then even, you know, a startup that doesn't work, if you can learn from it, if you don't cause a lot of damage to other people in the process, then, then that's okay too. Like, I think that's one of the great things about, or at least that's one of the great things that I like to imagine anyway, is, is great about the place we live here in America, which is it's more often than not a place where you, where you can fail, but you're saying that for some people, that's just not their lived experience. And, and I'm hearing you on that. Not at all. And that's, and, and because of that, there's also deep rooted trauma and mm. fear of even getting there. Like, you know, one thing that I love talking about is intellectual property. And if you're a creator, you have a lot of it, right? You practice it daily, you try new things, but, um, when you put so much weight on one thing being successful, you tend to hold it close to your close to your bosom, right? And you don't want to let it go. And um, that essentially could hinder people from being able to to fast fail, you know, and and try something and say, wow, I'm going to take I'm not going to throw the baby out with the bathwater. I'm going to take the things that were beautiful of this experience and then elevate it and innovate it into something new. But if that's what you put all of your eggs in, it's almost like gambling, right? Oh, I'm all in, you know, and then you're like, dang, you had a full house. How'd you get that full house? You know, like, and understanding that that's not everybody's experience. Yeah. And I guess one observation I have for people in the game industry or who are building the metaverse now is all of these people are customers as well, right? So to think that you can build products for the whole worldwide diversity of people with all of their lived experiences without having those people be part of the creation process, that to me seems kind of crazy. So like, to me, that's the missed opportunity just in the pure like ultra capitalist pragmatist sense that if you take nothing else away and you're you're at that level think about that missed opportunity there to bring people in and help you actually make stuff that your customers care about 100% yeah so what so we've talked a little bit about like what people like me can learn from it but what what would you what do you tell people that are from diverse backgrounds who want to work in this industry and they're really they're really hungry for it. Like, I know it's harder for them. So it's obviously harder for them because they're, there's not people like them in the leadership roles by and large is sort of one of the impediments that I heard you talk about earlier. But what can you say to them? Because I, I also think they need a little bit of hope here as well. I talk to people all the time who are frustrated by exactly what you're saying, but what should they do? I think they should network the behinds off. I, I don't think that everybody is withholding information. I feel like this, I will say, um, as far as the game industry, it's, it is really tight. It's a huge industry, but it's a tight knit industry. So networking, getting out there, getting on Twitter, getting on um, LinkedIn, uh, diving into people's inboxes and, um, and checking in with them and saying like, hey, come with your paragraph of what you're trying to create, build, or information you're trying to find. I, I will say that the Web3 community is pretty dope in the sense that there's so <laughs> much open source information. Um, if you go on Twitter and just follow everybody who's, who's talking about it, I think you can learn a lot if you just take 15 minutes a day, you know, and just scroll through your Twitter and ask questions. And, and, um, and I also think there's a couple of open source documents out there on the web that it's like, there's basics. Um, John, if you know some, like, you know, spit those out, but like, mm -hmm. uh, I do believe that if anything, 
The networking piece is huge. Contacting us, you know, because I think you're open and, and I'm open to connecting connecting you with people who who I'm connected to, who maybe know more about this than I do. Um, and being vocal, letting people know that I'm interested in this. I don't know this. Like, I, I know like NFTs blew up overnight and I'm just like, wow, like it would be dope to have, uh, you know, and there's like, there's crypto tutors. Like there's a, there's um, fancy, Fancy Fied is a friend of mine and she does crypto tutors. And that's like a, a podcast that happens. Um, there's this podcast, there's other, you know, like there's other people who are like sharing information. And I think that's imperative in order for all of us to really win in this space, but it has to, it has to be reaching out and getting beyond the fear of um, connecting with people so that you can be open to maybe a couple of options, because I find that people love talking about themselves. <laughs> Come on. And so if you reach out to someone, you say, hey, I'd love to learn about your journey and how you got here. I really do see people being willing to have that conversation. And there's some that are, you're going to like close the door on. And those, you just keep it moving. Um, but uh, I feel like being adamant about pushing yourself and networking and growing, there's a lot of organizations that are popping up. Yeah. So you said get out of your comfort zone. I mean, this is this is a tough, tough industry. Everybody has to get out of their comfort zone. And if you are someone who historically has just been underrepresented in game companies, then it's going to be even more so, I guess, is just the harsh reality of it. Um, but I'll say that that message also applies to people like me, because the biggest excuse I always hear from other game studios are just not just game. I don't want to overly pick on game companies because this problem is actually I think fairly endemic to just the technology industry more broadly. I always hear the excuse of, oh, well, I'd hire more quote unquote diverse candidates if I saw the candidates. And that's their excuse for not having black people, not having women or, or whatever their excuses. So what I've really discovered, and, and maybe this is my message for, for people like myself is, yeah, get out of your comfort zone. Like you, it does actually require effort it doesn't just happen. You just, just excusing yourself out of it is not, it's not great. And you're missing that opportunity that we talked about earlier, because we're building products for a global audience of everybody you can possibly imagine. So go out and throw yourself into those communities and try to connect with people and feel uncomfortable. And guess what? You'll make, maybe it goes back to this empathy you were talking about. You'll gain some empathy for those folks who feel like that every day, right? A hundred percent. So you talked about Web3. Let's talk about that because I think actually there's a huge number of learning experiences for say the game industry there. And also it's an opportunity because it, the way it's unfolding is different than the way the game industry did. Like the distribution channels, the marketplaces, the way creators are gaining attention, building their communities. It's all happening from scratch right now. And, and that seems to be opening the door to a lot of people to participate in this who, who got left out in the past. So I, I think that's just really worth focusing on a little bit because I think that's just amazing to watch that happen. And also you look at that, say as a game industry person who has been hearing some of those excuses I referred to earlier, and you're like, well, here it's happening. Like it doesn't seem to be a problem in some sectors. Like why have we been missing out? Like, so you mentioned earlier, you've been getting involved in web three. We should actually just take a moment, define some of this stuff because some people are probably hearing some of this stuff. I'll, I'll let you do it. Like what's web three, what's a DAO? What's, what is this whole yeah, stuff? Why is it interesting? Do it. You do, you do the, I can do some of it. Let's share the love. <laughs> I'm not, I'm definitely not the from your perspective. thought leader in this space. Um, I've, I've been focusing more on, okay, so fun fact is I love the concept of building games on blockchain, which is, um, is, is not new, but I think it's a dope opportunity to then also have NFTs as assets within the game, um, have some 
real transparency around the dealings internally. And uh, it's a really, com it's a big community effort. So everybody who's involved. Um, DAOs, uh, decentralized autonomous organizations. I love the concept because I really do believe that um, a lot of times, a, a lot of other people benefit off of black culture, um, the geniuses that we have and what we bring to the table. And I believe that DAOs are an opportunity for us to, to keep some of that generational wealth within the organization and utilize all of our gifts to elevate everybody who's a part of it. And so um, I'm, I'm definitely, I'm not like a super creator, but in, in the augmented reality space, I like the idea of mapping uh, locations and creating experiences within those locations that, that have NFTs, that have the ability to um, be assets that we could take home with us and have these experiences within our own home. So that's, that's how I navigate and, um, and, and move and shake in this area. But I also have friends who created DAOs for for various reasons for networking DAOs for for creating communities that are elevating certain topics uh, there's DAOs that are giving back to the communities and and helping um helping third world countries like i mean there's just so many different ways to utilize this system that can generate uh it's essentially it's an i mean i think of it differently it's there's there's layers but one way that i think of it is like um say bye bye to nonprofit organizations like this if you want to do a nonprofit organization that's going to affect a community and with with a smart contract with a way that's like very clear where the money's going where what's happening and how it's giving back to the community dow here we come and it's and some people don't like that transparency and that's and that's another conversation yeah, and they start as grassroots organizations, really. Like, I mean, you can do whatever you want, I guess, but it seems to me the DAOs that have been successful, I mean, DAOs are a new form of governance. Well, they're not so much a new form of governance as it's technology really helping to streamline the process and enable it from a bottoms up perspective rather than like the top down perspective where maybe the CEO comes and raises capital and structures a shareholder organization. So in a DAO, usually the ones that I've seen be successful, they start on Twitter or a Discord channel and it's people that really care about something and they come together and that community creates the DAO and you don't have to go find that CEO. You don't have to mm -hmm. like raise a bunch of capital just to get started because the tech is there to, to automate it. So it doesn't change human nature, but it makes a lot of these structures a lot easier to get together and i think that's maybe a little bit of the problem with say game development in contrast with this like so game development the financing of it the distribution of it so much of it is so dependent upon not just sort of training and the skill sets of the craft but just who you know who your networks are and it just makes it super challenging for people to come from the outside. I mean, that's why they call it like a break. It's a break in industry. Like you got to break into right. games. Right. But this is all happening new. There isn't that whole set of networks, not that being fit. Like if you're famous, it'll help you no matter what, like for whatever you do. But so it's, it's not to discount the role of fame and being an influencer or whatever, but the fact that it's all happening in this novel way from the ground up now is the opportunity for people to get involved and, and do things that don't have that whole institutional baggage behind it. I agree. And that's and that's the beauty of it. And that's why I, I want more and more people to not be afraid of it because it's new or maybe you don't understand the ins and outs of it. A lot of the leaders that I, I work with and I talk to, when they broke into an industry, like, for example, AR, they didn't know exactly what they were. Nobody knows. Like, <laughs> nobody knows yeah, exactly, exactly everything about what they're doing. But it's like, oh, my gosh, I just broke into this. I created a, a, a an organization um, that can grow beyond me and benefit everybody that's in it. Like, 
it really counteracts kind of like where the world is right now where it's consumerism and me 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 and how can i win it's 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 almost like we're we're finally coming full circle to what about the communities that we love and when we have these communities how are we elevating each other with the geniuses and the gifts that we all have i i i use like soho house which is elite but you know like the soho houses right like if you were a part of the soho house you could go to any soho house in the world and you can benefit from being a member. And when you're in those rooms and you're in those spaces, you're able to interact and network with people who who's essentially have the same vision and mindset that you do. And this is what a DAO is. It's like people coming together with similar uh, agendas, mindsets, visions, and saying, let's do it together for everybody that's a part of this. Mm-hmm. Yet, it doesn't change human nature at the same time, right? So we're still going to have the effect of capital and power and all of that. Like, what are your thoughts on that? Like, ha like our DAO is going to just turn back into the same as everything else once, I don't know, all the vested power interests start getting involved, which they will. They'll get drawn into it, right? It's already happening. If you, like, there's a lot of, there's a couple, not a lot, but there's a couple of VCs that are really interested in this space and they're starting to tap in and give some money and, and get their feet wet. And, um, I think that, yeah, I think that's a possibility. I would hope that, that, um, before that happens, that more people are able to dive in, try, get their feet wet and see if this is something that they really want to be a part of. Um, and I think because right now we have this opportunity and we're sharing this information and I wish we could tell this from the masses, uh, I, I do think that there's an opportunity to change that narrative. Yeah. I mean, so part of the way I'm hoping to help is just, I think there's too much technology, which means that you need a lot more capital to create stuff. I mean, that's what Beamable ultimately does. We're just trying to make this whole world accessible to creators so that it's less about programming, more about storytelling and art. And I feel like I'm learning a lot from what's happening in all of these new NFT art marketplaces and things like that, because they are about the artistry of it. And it's, it's freeing people to focus on the craft of whatever it is that they like to do without having to be say a computer program or although there's lots of interesting you know coding type stuff and i love coding i grew up coding but to me it's how do you help people express themselves tell a story online create a world for someone else and as soon as we can tap into a whole planet full of people that bring their life experience into that like that's what i want to go online and do like i want to go into the metaverse and just experience all these things that right now you couldn't really capitalize them like no one would understand it right like they'll probably make bazillions of dollars once people make some of this stuff but you wouldn't get anybody to fund it like i look at roblox like look at all these crazy games and experiences on roblox no game publisher was ever gonna fund any of these things it took a kid in a lot of cases like some teenager makes a game in roblox and guess what then it has like 10 billion plays in it like there's just this huge huge universe of stuff like that still to be created so you just gotta unleash creators on it get rid of the bottlenecks my small part of it is to remove the technology bottlenecks but you know these newer structures with DAOs could potentially also unlock you know, organizational structure, new forms of governments, governance where teams and communities come together about what they care about. I'm excited about it. I, I honestly, I'm grateful to know you and, and for what you do in this space, because um, I also think that there are predators out there. Like let's, let's keep it a hundred percent. Like this sure. NFT world, crypto wallets, like if you if you don't know the cheat codes on how to protect yourself and protect your what what you're building, then you could essentially lose it. And mm -hmm. um, and I think that's an aspect that what I would like to see more investors and 
people who want our creative our creativity right like they want us to go on roblox and create they want us to go on unreal and create unity and create because that builds up the platform you know and um how are you going to protect us you know if we're choosing to create on your platform and then also don't just give us a small like a one percent of the pie like that's that's another thing too is like if you know that certain people have the gift of creation and you want to utilize their social capital and what they can bring to the table fund them give us the money like <laughs> and then i i also think that it's you know there's a there's a disparity around how much it takes to create like one software engineer's salary in Silicon Valley is around 160 plus thousand. That's that's on the low end, right? Starting like so if I need to create something and I don't have um, Beamable, I don't have the tech piece that is there. I'm trying to build something from scratch. I need at least 300 plus maybe 500K to just build a prototype, to just build something that will get investors interested in what I'm what my 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 idea is and i think that there's some um game companies some organizations that understand that and they're 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 looking at how can we um empower uh this generation with the tools but i also think that there's a disparity as understanding what it really takes to build something like um and to to spend hours and hours and hours on unreal or hours and hours hours on roblox like that's free money like that, not free money, but free. I'm giving you my free intellectual property um, because you've made it easy for me to do so, right? But what do I get out of it? Well, you get you get a little bit of money back for your Robux or whatever platform you're in, but they take most of it and your customer stays in that environment. So that's another part of like the whole Web3 universe, I, I which is what I, that's kind of, what I think the metaverse is, by the way, when I define the metaverse, it's really just the next generation of the internet, but it's much more decentralized, which opens up the whole universe of creativity to everybody who wants to create a world, who wants to create a game. Like, I, I think these walled gardens are fine. They'll keep going if they can great, create great tools to make it easy for people. I'm all for whatever tools allow people to be creative. But what I'm hopeful for is a future where it's like publishing a website. Like you could just publish the web page is as easy as it is to do a game, to do a world. And if you can imagine it, you can get it on the screen. That's where we need to get to, to empower all of these creators because capital is an impediment. If you have to write lots of lines of code and just build a lot of stuff that's not core to the vision for something, that just gets in the way. So when we started talking, Trinidad, you talked about your new work that you're doing around empathy. I want to talk about that a little bit more, if that's okay. Like, what should people know about empathy? Like, why is that hard? And what's the, why should people know about empathy? Why, why should anyone care about this? So let's go back to like historically work. Mm -hmm. Where did it, like, was it the industrial, like, how do I get people to leave their small businesses, their homes and come work for me, for my big vision? Um, I think that there's this, this whole idea of human resources, biz, HRBPs, business development has become almost our focus of how do we help the business more than we help people. Mm-hmm. I'm going to get stoned for this, but, uh, empathy is taking this idea around the people who are our biggest asset, which a lot of companies have lost sight of. Like if all your people, I think if anything, we've seen it during the pandemic, right? If all your people walk off, how are you going to keep this business afloat? Cause your people are your biggest asset. Um, and so how are we empowering people to bring their authentic genius and want to give you their genius. The generations before me, my parents were loyal to a fault. Um, and what I mean is like when they worked for a company and they got this opportunity, they stayed there for years. Like I know, like there's some, some employer employees that have been with companies for 25 plus years. You don't see that today. 
you see uh, a generation that's saying, we're going to jump, we're going to jump and jump because that's where I'm going to get my elevation and my growth. I can't stay with one, one company and get my incremental 2%, right? And the reason why Silicon Valley birthed so many millionaires was because people who had the ability to risk jumped at the right time to startups that ended up IPOing, which ended up making them millionaires, right? You don't see a lot of black and brown people doing that because the risk is I may not have a check to provide for my family. So the empathy piece is focused on a lot of times we're stuck here with data. You could throw a rock at the internet right now and find so much data on why um, building a, a balanced workforce, a diverse and inclusive workforce is better for your business. But we still see the disparity in tech and in gaming where that's not the not that's not the the reality, right? So we also could throw a rock at the internet and see that women are paid cents on a dollar of men. But do we see companies saying, by the way, we fixed that because there's total, there's so much information out there that we're like, you know what, we're just going to fix it and we're going to pay women what they're worth. No, every year we have to have a conversation around how to, how, about pay um, disparities. So just because the knowledge is out there doesn't mean that it's connecting to the heart. So when I talk about empathy, I'm talking about love. I'm talking about taking that journey from that 12 inch journey from your head to your heart. And what I believe is like, coming from your head to your heart, and it's something that you feel, it will move you to the next step, which is action, your hand. So I talk about head, heart, hand method, which is like a lot of times companies wanna know the data around things. And I think that that's a cop-out. Yes, data is imperative so that we know marketplace data and all those different kinds of things. But if you don't have the journey from why this data matters to why how it's impacting the people who you work with, the communities that you work with, the women who are not being paid enough, all that and a bag of chips, then there's not going to be a move to the hand, which is where there's actual hand, um, action around putting your, your hand in the ring, showing up in the arena and being vulnerable and providing capital, providing opportunities, giving someone a chance, even if they failed multiple times. So the empathy piece that I love talking about is, have you made that journey from your head to your heart? Do you know why this is imperative for our communities and why it makes sense? Or are you stuck in the data realm, which is important. I'm not knocking data. I have parents as engineers, like, you know, data. My dad thinks about oh, what's the best way to move this couch from here to here. I'm like, I never understood why my dad thinks like that, but it's who he is. Um, but I also try to get my dad and I use my parents as examples all the time because they're so dope and they formed me into who I am today. But like, how do I get my dad to care about how, where he places that couch affects me? Like, how do I get the companies to care of like, if they're, if they're, and this is, this is going to be um, controversial, but like a company saying, I want to do a government contract and knowing that if I do this government contract, then the, you know, the people in the company who are going to be affected by that and how that could essentially take a whole slew of people and say, by the way, you can't work here anymore just because of this contract. Mm -hmm. so, so just things of that nature. I don't know if that makes sense. Well, in some ways we're talking about game design and game making again, because when I hear you talk about your dad and moving the couch, there's sort of the, there's the math part of that, which is optimizing the path. And if you were a game designer, you could figure out the heat map that shows you the optimal paths and where players go through that journey. But there's also the storytelling aspect of what you were saying, like, how does it make you feel to have that you know, piece of furniture be in one place or another. And, and game creation is like that. There's a right brain and a left brain part. There's the highly analytical coding kind of thing, but there's also the storytelling and the, and the artistry. And that level of left brain, right brain seems to be absent in a lot of organizations for, for whatever reason. So the, Something that I hear all the time when I get into diversity and inclusion conversations with people in the industry who've been affected by it most is they just tell me they're at a frustration level such that like, listen, I don't like I have people, women have told me like, listen, I don't even want to talk about this subject anymore because I just, 
it is what it is and it's just even frustrating to talk about no change occurs so why bother talk about something that no one wants to change like and that level of frustration is really i mean definitely it's up first of all just upsetting to hear um and also i guess embarrassing that that like that's where we still are as an industry that we haven't been able to make realistic change beyond like press release announcements and stuff like that what what do you want to say to to people who are at that level of frustration we're talking Ooh. empathy now let's empathize well at that level of frustration um i think we have to acknowledge the trauma we have to acknowledge the the hurdles the just to be still in the industry after everything that's gone over the last couple of years let's not even talk about 20 last years year. ago, but the last year <laughs> last right? six months like sure it's it's like wow like you're resilient you're strong but a hmm. lot of people are like i don't want to be like i want to be able to show up right. do my job go home be with my family and not have to endure these microaggressions that i endure every single day coming to work and i i tell people all the time like take care, put the mask on yourself first, right? But at the same time, if we don't have trailblazers and people who are willing to endure and create access, um, be a voice, uh, I, I don't see the industry changing. And that's, and that's tough. It's like almost like we have to be, we have to have our, our soapbox and our tools, which is like the, the work that we do and we provide for these places. And we have to walk with both. And um, and it comes at a risk, John. It comes at a risk because at the end of the day, I could lose my job because of my mouth. I can lose, and and it's like, you know, and a lot of times when you're doing these um, these equity conversations or having these tough conversations with leadership, you could be pinpointed and and ostracized or retaliated against just for being a voice. And I'm not saying that that's been. Um, my total experience in the industry but i will say that like being outside is a lot easier than being inside and having my job be at risk for something that i said or did to empower people with the information that is needed in order to change the scope and um of how we think around this these topics so um it's a it's definitely a risk and i would tell them uh blow it up, blow it up. Like, I mean, continue to um, think outside the box, continue to be a voice, but um, also be easy on yourself and don't be in, and misogynistic behavior is a thing in the industry. So just because you're a woman doesn't mean you're an advocate for other women. Just because you're black doesn't mean you're black advocate for all black people. Like I've seen compliant people who are like, I've made it in this industry. I've done fine. Don't bother me. Don't ruffle my feathers. You know, the white man's my best friend. And I'm just like, okay, great. But don't close doors and block other people from having a voice and raising awareness around their lived experience. I, I hear all the time, like, well, John didn't offend me. You know, Harry never offended me. So I don't understand why you're raising so much, so much hell and, you know, and, and, but that you you didn't have the same experience I had with Harry. You didn't have the same experience I had with John. So it's like, it's just, we need to come together with empathy, which is saying, put yourself in a position of how am I going to empower the generation to come? Like the, I promise you my, um, I've had some, I've been able to work with some dope millennials and the generation after them. And when I say that they're smarter, faster why like um i i i geek out at the ability to uh to mentor and 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 speak life into and advocate for because they are the future and they don't think like i do they don't think like the generation before my or before me and so i'm just like how can we build a world that is going to take care of them and going to empower them and allow them to create some things that I've never been able to create or experience. Yeah, I, I feel like the thing you said earlier about resilience, 
that's got to be something we can all relate to whoever we are, because at some point in our life, I can think of times for myself, like I've been strong, but I don't want to have to be strong. Right. Like that's, that's sort of the two sides of it. Like, it's great that you're strong, but wouldn't it be great to not have to be either. Um, and there are challenges. So I, I hope though, that one thing everybody takes away from this, first of all, understand that if you're from say the traditional industry of game making, like there's a lot of opportunities out there that are being left on the table that if you don't bring in team members at all levels, including leadership, that you're just, you're actually missing out on a lot of opportunities. I mean, on top of that, it's just like humane, like we should build an industry for everybody, like setting aside the sort of the pragmatic business aspects of it. And then for everybody out there, um, we get it that it's tough, but maybe that's where the metaverse will change things up at least somewhat because there are these new opportunities surfacing, whether it's Web3 or art creation or blockchain games or DAOs that are built around stuff we haven't even imagined yet. Like that is a little bit more of a clean slate. So I would just say, get curious, get inspired by this conversation, read stuff online that will help you come up to speed on what these opportunities are and go for it. When you when you post this, I'll put like a couple links below so that um, people can can do some research on on web3 yeah awesome so definitely look down below in the description we're going to have those links right in there and subscribe to this if you like this kind of conversation we'll put a link so you can find trinidad as well and reach out to her and find her online um, but this has been a super great conversation in terms of me just learning about things and things that I should really just challenge myself to do better at. I hope if you're listening, you're like me, you similarly feel like, you know, this is the day that I'm going to actually do something to, to step up and make the world a better place, make your company a better place, make it a better place for people. Like that's, that's why we're all here, right? Like the metaverse is really just a way to have expression, human connection, all of that stuff. Let's let's make it better for everybody. I agree. Thank you, John. Yeah, thanks so much for being here, Trinidad. This has been a, a really important conversation. I'm honored. Cool. <laughs> all right, everybody. Until next time, maybe we'll meet in the metaverse. Check out the channel. There will be many more conversations with thought leaders like Trinidad here.